We're going to continue our series on how to experience God's presence. This is the third part of our series. And specifically this week, we're going to talk about how to experience God's presence through prayer. And I have to tell you, this entire topic of experiencing God's presence is very near and very dear to my heart. If I, if you told me I was only allowed to preach on one topic every Sunday until, you know, I'm no longer a pastor, which is going to be way down the road, God willing. If I had to pick one, it'd be hard. But the thing that I could get up in the morning every day and talk about and talk and talk about is the presence of God, the presence of God, how to experience it for yourself. And you might, Pastor, why is that so personal to you? Because when, when God started about 10 years ago talking to me about someday becoming a lead pastor. I was a staff pastor. I was a youth pastor for a number of years. I was an executive pastor for a few years. But long before God blessed me with the opportunity to be your pastor, something got impregnated in my spirit, and this is exactly what it was. Here's what God said to me. I'm going to assign you a church that is to be known for being a place filled with the power and the presence of God. That, was, that is the mission I feel like I have in my life personally. It came when I was studying Exodus 33 and 34 when there's this dialogue between God and Moses, and I won't preach that whole message this morning, but it came to this point where God was so disappointed in the people. They had, they had sinned yet again, but God had made them a promise. I'm going to take you out of Egypt, and I'm going to deliver you into Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey, and life is going to be good, and it's the land I've prepared for you. And God was so upset that once again they had betrayed him. He says this to Moses. I made a promise and I'm going to live by my promise. I'm going to give you everything I promised you. Here's the catch. My presence is not going to go with you. I'll give you everything you've ever dreamed for. The only thing you won't have is my presence. Now, in this moment, we might think, well, if God said that to me, I would say, no, God, I want you. But I wonder (laughs) if he laid out in front of you everything you ever dreamed for. And the only thing, the only catch is that you could have it all. You just wouldn't have his presence. I wonder in the depths of our heart how we would respond to that opportunity. But what Moses says back to God is the thing that really started to rock my world 10 years ago, and it does to me to this day. Here's what he says. I don't want all that if your presence can't go with me. Here's the reason why. He says, because what else will distinguish us from everybody else in the world except for your presence? Moses understood something 3,500 or however many years ago that I'm trying to understand today and we need to understand What God wants to distinguish Echo Community Church is not that we have the nicest building. Not that we have the best fashion, because, you know, God help us. It's not that we need to be the most excellent in technology, though we want to be good at what we do technology-wise. We want to use those things as tools and resources to Jesus. It's not that we're supposed to have the most awesome worship team that make the best songs and sell the most albums, though we want to have a great worship experience for all of us. The thing that God dropped in my heart is as a pastor, my assignment from him is that I would lead a church that is distinct, not from all other churches, but from the world in this sense. We are people who value and treasure and experience the power and the presence of God. Because you know what? You can find that in a cafeteria. You can find that in an auditorium. You can find that at the Hilton Garden Inn. You can find that in this new space that God has yet to reveal to us. You can find that in your living room. You can find it at your cubicle. You can find God is everywhere. And if you can just learn how you can experience and taste and live in and walk in that in uninterrupted bliss, because that's all God's ever wanted. 
His deepest desire is to be inseparable with you. That's the whole message of the Bible. It's why he created people in Genesis 1, because he wanted to be together. It's why he hates sin, because sin means to be separated. It's why he sent Jesus into the earth so that we could be together again. It's why he, he's inviting us to live with him in heaven because it's eternal insepar- inseparability with God. It's why hell is so tragic because it's complete separation and permanent separation from God. The whole message of the Bible is encapsulated in those nine words. God's deepest desire is to be inseparable with you. That's all he's ever wanted. So I feel like the center of the bullseye for me as a as a pastor, at times as an evangelist, at times as an apostle, at times as a missionary, but mostly as a pastor, is to somehow walk so close to our heavenly baker that I smell like he does. It permeates my very life and my very words so that in those moments I have to walk away from the counter and go interact with people that are in the world that don't know him like I do. That's something about the smell of where I've been, that I become the aroma of Christ and I awaken a craving to experience God and all the reality that you would experience anything else in this life. That he would become so amazingly real to you that he would never just be this religious idea that you chase after. No matter what you think God's presence is, it's probably far different and more extreme than you could ever imagine. His presence is not partial joy. In his presence, the Bible says, is what? The fullness of joy. Many of you, have have you ever tasted of that? Even for a moment? I'm looking at your faces as you're saying that. God wants you to just feel like you can pull up a stool and live there. It doesn't have to be these little tastes you get in isolated pockets of your life and then you go back to the misery of life. Our Christ journey, discipleship, is about recalibrating your life away from being me-focused to him-focused. Us decreasing and God increasing. That's part of this journey. I want to give you some of the how-tos. We talked about how to experience God that way while we read our Bible. This week, we're going to talk about how to experience God that way when we pray. It's not meant to be like a theological formula this week. We did spend a lot of time a few months ago on a longer series about prayers. We took a slow journey through the Lord's Prayer, and we walked through a lot of that. This is not in tension with that teaching. It's in harmony with it. If you need some more foundational understanding, you can go onto our website and, chron- and you know, go through those archive messages and enjoy those. This week, I want to take you through three verses. We're going to be very practical this week, as practical as you can be about experiencing something that some people make so mystical, because it kind of is. People say, well, you know, a lot of these things about God is just not normal. Yeah, it's just not natural. Right, correct, supernatural. Well, it's not natural for me to not think about myself and think about God. Right, the most unnatural thing you can do is tune into God. The most natural thing you can do is tune into yourself. We came hardwired that way. No one had to teach Isaiah, my son, my 12-day-old. No one had to teach him when you, listen, son, uh, before you start breathing, let me know. When you need anything at all, just scream. And keep screaming until we figure out, are you hungry? Are you gassy? Do you need changed? Are you hot? Are you cold? And we'll keep working through. Just help us out by focusing on everything you need and only what you need, regardless of what we need, and scream until you get it. (laughs) You and I came into the world that way. You and I came into the world that way. The most unnatural thing for us to do is to say, it's not what I need and what's most important to me and what I'm thinking and doing that's most important. It's what... Somebody else thinks and needs is most important. And then one layer beyond that, it's somebody that is kind of invisible to me. And all of my life is about recalibrating that. It is unnatural, but with the spirit of God inside of you, 
it's what starts feeling very unnatural in this process of growing and discipling and becoming more like Christ, it becomes not only natural, it becomes easier. It becomes simpler. It's like knowing where that one sweet spot is on the old dial radio. You know right where that place is where there's no static and you can go there regularly and you can live there. If you're under 25, I've got a visual for you here later. You may not understand radios with dials on the side. I'm going to show you in a moment. Let's get into the scripture this morning. That's why it's so personal to me because this topic is central to, you know, Pastor, could you draw me a big picture about, you know, 10 facilities from now and and, and this and that? Probably not. Probably not. Pastor, where is this church going to be? Where, you know, we're getting ready to move, it, move forward. Where is it going to be? I have no idea. No idea. God knows. It's never been about me knowing where it has to be anyway. We're just getting ready to seize that opportunity the moment God reveals it to us. He's got it all figured out. I'm not stressed about that at all. But I know this. What we're doing here is like water. You can pour it in any container and it'll fit. You have the presence of God. Let's take it with us. But if we're waiting to get a building to start getting happy about being in God's presence, let's just stay here until we figure that out. Because that will just enable bad. That's a whole other message I didn't think about. Let me think about that some more. That'll enable some bad habits, I think. Here we go. Three verses. I want to trace a two-word phrase through the New Testament. The phrase is Abba, Father. Any of you heard that before? Abba, Father? Um, Why do they use the word Abba? It's not an English word. The, the, The quick, it's a Hebrew word. And the reason it says Abba is because we don't have a direct translation for that word. So they kept it there so that we kind of pause and say, what does that mean? You know why? It's baby talk. It's Hebrew baby talk. And so we don't have a direct equivalent to it because culturally, baby talk might be different in your family than it is for mine. In my family, it would be the closest equivalent of dada. But basically, what it, what it was in the Hebrew language, the first syllables a baby would get out when they would be recognizing and talking to the father figure in their life. Okay? That's the, the, that's the hour-long translation right there. Okay? So I want to trace this phrase through the New Testament because we see it happen in direct conjunction with how Jesus prayed himself, how he teaches us to pray, and how the Apostle Paul continued to encourage people to approach God in prayer, and then we'll build layers off of that as we move forward. So here's those three verses. We'll start in Mark chapter 14, and that's Jesus talking to God. And then we're going to go to Romans 8, 15 to 17, which is Paul. And then again, Paul's letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. Here we go, Mark chapter 14. Um, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. This is Jesus speaking. Do you remember where he was, the setting? What was the circumstances around this? Where was he? Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's to go to the cross. And there's this beautiful prayer here where Jesus says, God, here is what I really want. Nevertheless, even if you can't give me exactly what I'm asking for, help me to submit to your will in my life. There's a lot here. This one prayer in and of itself, and this is not the focus of our message before, he comes to his dad, his dad, his actual dad, okay? And he talks to him like a little helpless child would babble to their, to their daddy. And what he asks me is he says, God, here's what I want. And he doesn't add all these disclaimers. If you can bless it, if it's your will, if it's this, I'm not sure. Some of us get there sometimes. You're like, should I pray about this or not? What if it's not what God wants? Should I pray for healing or not? Should I pray for a baby or not? Should I pray for promotion or not? He does this. He says, God, here's exactly what my heart cries out for. And simultaneously, yet what you want is more important than what I want. So here's what I want and I need. But more importantly, even if you don't give me what I think I want, 
help me to be obedient to you. That's an awesome prayer. You can pray, God, please give us children. Nonetheless, even if your answer is no or not yet, will you please help me to be faithful to you and not get bitter? God, please give me this promotion. But even if it doesn't come the way that I want to, or if your answer is no or not yet, I trust you enough to say, I want what you want more than me. So help me to be obedient to you. Help me to trust you. Help me to still live with joy in my life and not live with a sense of incompleteness if you don't answer all of my prayers. It's a great way to pray when you're not sure if you should pray to the left or the right or if you want to pray all your bases covered. This is a great way, but he starts with Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8 continues. So... You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Paul's talking to Christians. And even though I don't have a lot of time to expand on this this morning, here's that phrase is important. He says, you've received a spirit, which means you got something you didn't have, but now you have it when you receive something. Okay. What he's saying is when you were born, yes, you had a spirit. We talked about this last week. There's a three in oneness to human beings. There's a three in oneness to God, the, the Godhead. There's a, there's a blueprint in the Bible for how we were made. You see it in Genesis 1. You see it in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's reinforced throughout the scripture. We have a body. That's a part of us you can see. That's our five senses, our physical attributes, who you are and who you aren't physically, your behaviors. It doesn't have a brain. It does whatever the next layer of you says, your soul. My hand goes where my brain tells it to go. My feet walk where my feet, my mouth speaks what my heart tells it to speak. Some of you say, well, I can't, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. Your heart felt it. It came out your mouth. You just couldn't slow your roll enough to keep it in. If you're talking, there's, there's a, a, a medical diagnosis for the people who speak uncontrollably. And if that's your issue, then okay. But otherwise, we have to recognize it wasn't a problem with our mouth. It was a problem a layer deeper, and that's in our soul. That's, our, that's the part of you that's very real but not as invisible. It's, you, it's the part of you that doesn't have skin on. Okay? It's, it's your thoughts, your attitudes, your emotions. The Bible uses words like self to describe this, soul to describe this, mind to describe this. Those are all parts of that inner part of you. That part of you is sinful, and even if after you get saved, you know what it still produces? Sin. No matter how hard you try, Outside of Christ, the Bible tells you, you will never be able to make that part of you completely perfect and holy. You, you have a part of you that lives forever. It's called your spirit. It's what makes us different than animals and other created things. And that part is eternal. It's going to spend eternity with God in heaven or, or separated from him in hell. And what you have, a, you and I have a spirit. Now, there's some theologians that believe you don't have a spirit until you get saved and all this and that and this, but I have trouble with that when they talk about then only part of us lives eternally. That part of us is eternal. And if you die without Christ, the Bible still says there's an eternity for you to face without Christ. So there has to be part of you that carries over, <laughs> okay? So, you know, we believe from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Ruach, the New Testament word pneuma, that part of you is eternal. Here's what Paul says. When you get saved, what actually happens, we use this phrase like we teach our kids. My son accepted Jesus this week on White Marsh Boulevard in the car as we're driving home. It was amazing. Um, I'll tell you the whole story sometime. You know, he prayed this prayer one time before only because he, he wanted to be baptized in the pool at Beachmont, and he just thought that, that he just would say whatever I wanted him to say to get in the pool. <laughs> this time, after he gets done praying, I'll tell you the whole story sometime. He says, well, Daddy, is he in there now? I said, well... How do you feel? He's like, I feel pretty much the same. He said, my face won't stop smiling. And he said, my heart is beating really heavy. Like I can feel my heart beating. I'm like, you got it, buddy. You know, and so now we're cruising along. He didn't want to stay home with mommy and Isaiah today. He wanted to come to church. So I'm excited about that. Best, if I fail in everything else, I'm doing okay, right? You know, so, so uh, getting back to your spirit, that's part of us live forever. Paul says what happened in Chase, he says it, we read it. He received a new spirit inside of him. 
And what spirit is it? It says it's the same spirit that's alive in Jesus, not a different one. Man, I could talk about this for a long time. Here's what you need to recognize. The same spirit that quickened Jesus' body that defeated death, you have that in you. The same spirit that was able to pull up healing power and release it to other people is not locked up out there somewhere waiting for you to you know, release the special up, up, down, down, left, right, B-A-B-A code to get it. You gamers know what I'm talking about. Okay. The moment you accepted Jesus in your life, Paul says you received that spirit and it now lives in you. It's not version 1.0 and you gradually get a new one. You got it all. Well, pastor, why don't I feel more of his power? Because God's spirit is in you. The trouble is we still don't get it up out of us. Because you have a dual operating system, if that makes sense. Because your mind, that's not where God's spirit starts. <laughs> your mind is, can still think sinful thoughts even after Jesus' spirit lived inside of you. What do you think Paul was getting at when he said the only way to ever get God's spirit up out of you and see change is you have to make your old way of thinking, feeling, and emotions, you have to make it your flesh a slave to the Spirit. In other words, there's a part of God inside of you. His Spirit lives in you. And that Spirit's never thinking profane thoughts. It's never thinking evil thoughts. It's thinking wonderful, holy God thoughts, God feelings, God power. And the way you access that is learning to tune into that Spirit and letting it be in charge of how you think and how you feel, and how you process, and how you talk. And guess what? That's the life of the Spirit. It starts there. Some of us have this way that, like, if I just... We want God's Spirit to kind of come from the outside in, like our worship starts that way. You know, there's that song from the inside out. True worship doesn't start from, like, I hear a song, and then I think about the words, and all of a sudden... True worship is like a heater plugged in in the inside of you, and it just radiates out. That's what that looks like. So when we talk about experiencing God through prayer through reading the Bible, you have to have a foundational understanding of what Paul's talking about here. He says, when you got saved, you received a new spirit. And then he opens up the window and says, here's what the Spirit's doing and saying and thinking inside of you. The problem isn't that you need to get more of God into you. The challenge you all face is getting more of God out of us. Make sense? You with me? If I caused any of your hard drives to... In that sense, it's not like you have to keep begging God for more power. Stop that. You've got it. It's just not getting out of you. Well, what about the baptism of, you know, what about baptism of the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit? Well, that's a great example of what it looks like. You mean to tell me, those of you that speak in tongues, that there is a Spirit that lives inside, I'm way off track this morning, it's okay, we'll stay here, (laughs) That, that there's a Spirit that lives inside of you, that you are capable of pulling up a language into your thoughts that you didn't study in school, that you didn't sit down and learn by rote. You can pull up a language that you speak You can speak fluently. You can start and stop at any time you want. You can pull it up out of your spirit, let it fill your thoughts and release it through your mouth. Is that how it kind of works in layman's terms? Yes or no? So what else is in your spirit that you're not pulling up? Interested? Pretty cool, huh? Acts 3, 5, and 6. There's this cool conversation between... um, Again, just stay with me. I'll get back on track in a second. I told you I could get up and talk about this. with no. That's my problem, you know. Acts 3, 5, and 6, this verse, I learned a song about this in children's church when I grew up. One of the few things I remember besides the names of all the girls. <laughs> Acts 3, even 5, 5, and 6, pretty new believers here, Peter and John on their way to the temple, beggar by the side of the road that can't walk. Remember the conversation? What's he begging? What's he wanting? 
silver and gold. What's he really need? He needs to be able to walk so he can go get silver and gold for himself. For whatever reason, they knew this guy and had never responded before. But this day, Peter and John stop and they say, I don't have silver and gold. We know that part. It's the next phrase that really gets me interested. But what I have, I give you. What did they have? The power of Jesus to heal him. They recognize even at this point in their new journey with the Holy Spirit, he didn't need them to stop and speak to them in tongues in this moment. Probably wouldn't have helped it. We're weirding him out. But they recognized that there was something powerful inside of them that didn't belong to them, but it was there. And they could release that. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they went walking and leaping and praising God. And there's a great story at the end of it. They interview the guy later. He's like, I don't know what happened, but I was just sitting there minding my own business. I don't know a whole lot about this Jesus. All I know is I used to not be able to walk, and now I can. And a blind person, I used to not be able to see, and now I can see. You have that same spirit in you. What are you doing with it? Wouldn't you start treating your whole body and your life differently if you started recognizing what was really in there to cultivate and develop? You will leave boring Christianity behind forever. Well, pastor, are you talking about kooky, wacky, willy? No, but it is a little unusual. It's a little strange, not normal. The Spirit of God lives inside of you if you know him. If you've said, Jesus, I confess my sins to you, I confess your lordship over my life, I submit my life to you, you've received that spirit, it's in you. We as your pastors and as your church are going to help you just learn to, to enjoy that spirit, to tune into it, and to be able to just let that part of the spirit come alive and drive your thinking, drive your attitude, drive your actions. That's how you defeat sin. It's not a lot of hard work. It's about letting the spirit control you because it'll never lead you to sin. You've got to change your thought patterns. And where do you go for that? A lot of books. You can. If those books are helping you understand the spirit, get it better it'll be useful. Okay? Different things to think about. Now that I'm way off track, let me economize the rest of this. You'd be happy. Look at all the brown I marked through. I cut out a whole bunch of stuff. Okay, so we're good. So here we go. Are you and I more important than God, or is God more important than us? What do you think? Are we more important than God, or is God more important? Who's more important, you or God? God. Pretty obvious answer. Okay. Is what God wants and does more important than we want or do? Yes or no? Yes. Is what God wants to say to us more important than what we want to say to him? Pretty obvious answers. He's more important than we are. What he wants is more important than what I want. What he's doing is more important. Not that what we want is unimportant. But he, he ranks ahead. I almost said trumps us. I don't want to offend half the room. Okay, so he ranks ahead. It's as close to political as we'll get this morning. But he ranks ahead of us in that priority order. And God does want to speak and communicate himself to us. He does want to talk to us. He does want you to enjoy what he's doing and who he is. So if all this is the case, here's the simple conclusion. Then really, what we all would agree on is that more of my attention should be focused on who God is, what he's saying, what he's doing, what he's thinking, what he wants, than what I'm saying, thinking what I want. I need to at least change by one increment today to say, if I really think he's most important, then my actions should follow. How do I do that? That's where this message comes in. More of our attention should be focused on what God is and does and says in all of our life, including our prayer life. Sometimes we can get stuck in this rut that prayer really is. It's self-centered. It's a list of needs. That's not bad. That's not evil. It's welcomed. 
okay? But if our prayer life never develops beyond that, you'll never experience God in presence. God's going to kind of like be this person you keep in a closet somewhere. And then when you need something, you open up the door real quick and say, hey, I need help. I, I, you know, my taxes are due. I don't have any money. Can you help me? And you close the door and you walk on, okay? You know, God, please let my son have a good day at school. I can't stay after again and get lectured by the teacher. And you close the door. Real prayers in my own life, okay? <laughs> Those prayers are welcomed. But you know what that isn't? It's not communication. It's not experiencing and enjoying his presence. And I want you to see how that can happen. Here's the big idea. The big idea is that prayer is my personal response to God's presence. It's person-to-person communication with God. Prayer is my personal response to God's presence. It's person-to-person communication with God. I love what uh, Keith, our worship leader, said right when he opened us up in worship today. Because, in fact, it was a whole paragraph in here I can skip now because he said it. I was in the book of John, and God, God defines where, you know, if I ask you the question this morning, um, when it comes to your love for God, who loved who first? Well, God loved us first. True love isn't that I pursued God and got him interested in me and then I convinced him to love me. True love is that God loved me first, and every little ounce that you love of God is only a response to your increasing awareness of how much he loves you. How do I love God more? I need to love him more. Here's how. Become more aware of how much he loves you. Love is a response. He moves first. In the same way, prayer is a response to the omnipresence, ever-presence of God. If you did not think there was someone listening to you, you would not talk to them. When you pray, there's at least part of you that acknowledges there may, might, or is a God listening to what you pray. It is a subtle way you're already acknowledging his existence. Now, some of us pray from the... There's more people who pray than when identify as Christians. We've shared those stats with you. But the reality is when you pray, it is a silent testimony, a tacit assumption you're making that I think or I hope or I believe with all my heart there is a God who's hearing when I'm praying. I just want to help you develop that this morning. I want to show you a couple things you can expect when you really make prayer um, a priority in your life, when you make communicating with God. This is, I want, and I, real quick, I want to make a distinction between two words we use interchangeably that I want to distinguish a little bit this morning. Meditation and prayer. Both meditation and prayer are part of what we do as Christians. Here's what meditation means. To think deeply about. To consider thoughtfully to focus one's entire thinking upon. And that is holy, and that's noble, and that's good, but that's not the essence of prayer because I can think about Kendra all day long, but that's not communication with her. She can be in the center of my thoughts, and that's a good thing. I can plan and be excited all day long about being able to see her when I come home from work and see her and to see Isaiah and, and, and be with my family. But that's not, that meditating, that thinking is not the same as communication. I want prayer to go beyond just meditation. They're two different things. They're both good. Prayer, God wants it to be person-to-person communication. So here's a couple things you can expect in your notes. Number one, become aware. How do I, how do I experience intensely com- uh, personal communication with God? It begins this way. You have to become aware. We just talked about this. God, all, God loves every human being, and people are slowly waking up to that fact. And when you start to wake up to God's existence, and not that he's just existent, but that he loves you, it em- invokes a response from you. When you only portray, portray God as angry and evil, it will awaken a response, and that response is fear. Fear. 
fear of God is a healthy part of our relationship. But if the only relationship you have with your father or your mother is one that's based entirely upon fear, that becomes an incomplete view of who that is or it indicates you may have an abusive relationship there. God is a loving God. It's the love and the kindness of God, the Bible says, that leads us to repentance. Even though he manifests in other forms. So when it comes to prayer, really the whole journey with God is about being aware. He is here. He is present. He is ever present. He's always present. We're just not always tuned in. And to tune into God, you have to tune out to all the other distractions and to self. Here's the quick uh, illustration I have for you. I told you uh, in my house, underneath the kitchen counter, we have this Tupperware bin that has all the things in case the power goes out. We've got candles. We've got batteries. We've got flashlights. We've got all kinds of other prepper stuff. I went through a stage of prepping, and then it just got expensive and, and weird. So I stopped some of that. You know, how many camouflage vests do I need if the zombie apocalypse happened? I had enough. Um, but I do have this really cool radio. This, like, it's not, it, first of all, those of you that are under 25, this is what radios used to be, kind of. They used to be, like, really huge pieces of furniture with wood on them. Um, but they had dials that you had to turn, and this really accurate needle <laughs> will go to the left and the right, and by where you put that needle, you can kind of tune in stations. You have to have a really good hand for some of them to get really in the... And this one has AM, FM, shortwave, world band, has a flashlight on it. It even has like this power generator I can charge it by hand. If the apocalypse happens and the pre-tribbers are wrong, I am set, okay? I'm good. I'm in good shape here because I will be able to, if the apocalypse happens, I can still hear the weather. I can, I can, <laughs> if the Orioles are around, I can listen to the game, you know? We'll see whether Fox or CNN or MSN, we'll see who is really right, who's here and who went. We'll see. Um, was it Alex Jones? I don't know. Anyway, so uh, plenty for the conspiracy theorists in the room. So I have this, this radio. This is the illustration I've used for the last 10 years. It's not perfect, and the illustration falls apart. But when we talk about tuning in, this is something that naturally tries to tune in. Here's the thing that weirds me out sometimes. The, the radio waves that carry the, the 95.1 and everything else in the ball game, they're in the air right now. I don't see them. That would be spooky. But there are radio waves going around everywhere right now. You scientists are really offended with me right now. I'm just watering this down. Not Bill Nye. I'm Phil, the guy. Um, but you know why I don't hear it? I don't have the device. Well, now I do. But I mean, if you don't have one of these or a radio that's much more modern, um, you're not going to be able to hear what's going on. For you to even be able to detect these things that are broadcasting all right, you need the right receiver. Okay? Then you have to have a receiver that is tuned to the right station. Now, just because you have a receiver and you want to listen to, you know, the NASCAR race this afternoon, you want is if it's tuned to a different station, you're not going to hear the NASCAR race. This does not be able this particular high-end radio that I have $30 Amazon. This particular high-end radio cannot tune into multiple stations simultaneously. But there are certain stations I go to regularly. In fact, usually if we're going to turn this thing on, there's one station we're going to go to. I know now how to tune into that quickly. Here's the application. Before you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have this. Okay? You don't have a, a, a receiver inside of you. Can you still see the evidence of God? Yes, because you can speak to other ways. But in terms of you through your spirit, spirit to spirit communication, God doesn't happen. You know, it's amazing. You read the Israelites. You know, this is why they put such a high premium on God having to talk out loud to them. 
having to do all these big signs. This is before Jesus died on the cross so he could receive the Spirit inside of us. A lot of theology there. Okay, why doesn't God speak out loud anymore? Well, he prefers this. He'd prefer to just speak to you through your spirit. It's much more intimate. You know, he just waited for years to be able to do that. Now he can. When you get saved, you get a receiver. It's called the Spirit of God, and it goes deep inside of you. That station is always tuned to the God channel. Problem is, you have another radio inside of you. It's called your flesh. It's always tuned to the you channel. Make sense? Tuning into God means you have to tune down the you channel enough that you can start to hear this one. Do I need to talk anymore about this point? That makes sense. It's hard for you to experience God when you're multitasking. It's not impossible, but it's hard. I have this thing like when I really want to go up to my office and study. Kendra's like, why do you keep your office so neat? I was like, because I'm OCD, and if I'm going to study, everything has to be in its place. Because if I go up there to study and one thing's out of its place, I get distracted because that's part of me I have to tune down. And I fight that all the time. Maturity in Christ is that you're able to tune down and tune in quicker. Fair? Sometimes it takes 15, 20, 30 minutes for you to just calm down enough to just be aware of God's presence. Can I encourage you with something? If your prayer life is only about you quieting down and just recognizing God's presence and you don't even get into two sheets of paper, man, that's a profound prayer life right there. To recognize the presence of the Almighty. You have this if you know Jesus. You have this in you. So the first step is to be aware. I think I can skip all the rest of that. This is the big difference between people and things. God's presence is hovering above all things. His presence is all around the rocks and the trees. It's all around the mountains and the seas. But those things can't communicate with God. God's hovering around all of us all the time. He wants us to tune in and become aware of him. Tuning in is when you start to say, you're not talking about he and him. You're talking about you and me and us. It's when you say, I love Keith said it this morning. I want to just reiterate it. It's actually, let me give you the second point because it's the second point. The second point is this, be thankful. Once you've tuned in, once you've tuned in and you're aware of God, a great way, again, this is how to experience God's presence in your prayer. It's not the only way you have to pray, but if you really want to connect with God deeply, here's a way, start to be thankful. Here's the simplest way I can express this. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like this, four words. I love you too. That last word's important. What you're saying is, God, I recognize, Keith said it this morning, you love me first. Keith said this morning about worship. God, we just want to respond to the fact that you love us. It's really just saying, I love you too. Before I get into my list, God, I recognize you're here. Well, how do I know if I'm feeling God's presence? Well, you may start to feel some love, some acceptance. Well, what if I'm trying to feel into God's presence and start feeling anxious and nervous and ashamed and unclean? Probably because there's some sin in your life that's keeping you in between It's one of two things. It's real guilt or false guilt. It's because God's trying to show you something in your life that's not right for you to get right. God, please forgive me of my sins. If you know what it is specifically, confess it to God and you will immediately see that thing break off of you. Or it's false guilt because the enemy loves to remind us of how undeserving we are of God's presence. You see people all through the Bible. Isaiah is a great story. I've been reading it this week, trying to understand my son better. You know, I, I'm reading the beginning of Isaiah, and he goes, it's like, I, saw, I see the Lord. He, King Isaiah, I see the Lord, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know how big of a building the temple was? I've seen some brides with some long trains. I won't name any names. He says, when I saw the Lord, the train of his robe filled the temple. 
He was terrified. He said, then the voices of these angels came out and it was that loud. He said, they were that loud. I thought, I'm, that loud. He said, I'm surely going to die. And he found out he didn't die. <laughs> the angel takes the coal and they cleanse his lips. And then the Lord says, who will go for us? He says, here am I. Send me. He was awestruck and afraid he was going to die. False guilt, right? But God says, no, I can use you. You see, when we start to be thankful, we're not just acknowledging God's love. We're thanking him for it. Here's the difference. I I won't say which uh, government institution I had to go into recently to have my emissions tested. (laughs) Narrow it down. (laughs) I pull in, the guy weighs me in. I pull in, I stop. I roll down the window. He never even looks up at me. He's typing away on this machine. Never looks up at me. I get out of the car and I walk over. I say, "Um, excuse me, sir. And he just goes, he's typing and he does this. He says, I saw you. That's all he says. That's acknowledging, but not responding. Okay. Sometimes it's like, yeah, God loves me. He's provided for me. I have a roof over my head. I have this. I have a job. I've got relationships. We acknowledge it. But we don't thank God for it. Acknowledging it is meditation. Thanking him is personal communication and prayer. I got a text from my wife this week. Um, somewhere in here. Here it is. It's Thursday at 11, 23 a.m. And here's what, there was nothing, I mean, the last text I had sent it was the day before with two, like, of the orangey thumbs up. I sent her those, okay? <laughs> Which I realize now, maybe I'm a shade darker than I am because you texted me, Julie, yesterday and, and you sent, like, a whiter thumbs up. And so I'm not trying to think, <laughs> I need to figure out the emojis better. But um, that's another aside. Work with me, I'm technologically challenged, okay? She just says this. I just wanted to say that I appreciate all the extra you've had to take on. You're a great husband, father, and pastor. That's a lot of hats, and you wear them all well. Love you. I will keep walking over fire and nails. It's not really that bad. It's poopy diapers and dirty floors. But I... (laughs) This is a lesson for all of us who have meaningful relationships in our life. Boyfriends, girlfriends, parents, siblings, best friends, spouses. It's one thing to notice that someone is doing something for you that you appreciate and you depend on. It's a whole other thing to, to point it out and thank them for it. A simple way to get in the habit of doing it is you don't have to get, God, I need more of your love and your power. That's indicating we don't really know him all that well. God, I love you too. I am so thankful that you, have, you love life into me and you pour your power into me. Thank you for how good you've been to me. We're acknowledging and we're responding organically in thanksgiving. It's the appropriate, polite thing to do when anybody in our life does something kind for us is be thankful. Point three, be conversational. To return to an earlier point, what God does is more important than what we do. And God longs to communicate himself with us. The tragedy is that so few of us permit God to conversate with us in prayer. We, 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 we tragically, we, we clutter up our prayers. We, it's kind of like we feel like we have to be talking in order for it to be prayer. And so sometimes when we're trying to pray, we're like, well, I just, prayer couldn't possibly be just me sitting and enjoying God's presence or me standing and enjoying God's presence. I have to say something. We're like, Peter, sometimes not knowing what to say in prayer, we say. And we start making all kinds of pledges and promises, maybe repeating christian things that we've heard say. We start making, God, I will do this for you and I will do that for you. We bargain, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. If you can bless me here, I'll give you a cut of it. If you do this, I'll never do that again. And Lord, I'll go to the end. We start just babbling on. 
because we feel like we have to say something and we're not always sure of what to say. We clutter up our prayers with all this stuff. God doesn't even really need to hear from us. And sometimes we don't even really mean it. Let God communicate with you. What would your relationship be like if you said, listen, I want to have a strong marriage today or at some point in the future. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my spouse one hour of uninterrupted time out of every day from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock on the dot. Everything in my life ceases and I'm going to dial in with them for 60 minutes uninterrupted every day. And you waited until 10 o'clock came and your spouse is sitting there, can't wait to talk to you, has a cup of tea in front of them and they're ready to go and they're sitting forward in their seat and they've been longing to spend time with you. You sit down in your seat and you say, let me tell you what's going on. And for 60 minutes nonstop, I can do this, no sweat. 60 minutes nonstop, without even taking a breath. You're going on and on about everything in your life and everything that's going wrong and all the drama at work and, you know, the way that you saved money on the deal there and how you, you know, you know the new scratch on the car over here and your ideas for how you're going to transform the dining room over there and your list of grievances about, you know, the laundry and this and that. And at 11 o'clock, before they even say where you say, oh, I feel so much better. I'll see you tomorrow at 10. And you go on your way. How long would that relationship thrive? Here's the analogy. Thank God he loves us past that. But I wonder if that's where a lot of us get stuck in our prayer life. There's no slowing down to be aware. There's no slowing down to communicate. We never ask God what he's thinking or feeling, what he wants to share with us. We, we come to him because we believe in him and we need him. And we talk and talk and talk and talk and pray and pray and pray. And whether it's two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, an hour, our prayers never go beyond that. There's these quick blasts of demands and requests and God welcomes those, and those are not imperfect. But you're never really experiencing communication in prayer. If we really believe that what he wants is more important than what we want, what he's saying is more important than us, there's a way to live that out. Jesus, I recognize your presence is right here, right now, and I love you too. Talk to me. Speak into my life. How are you feeling today? What's going on in the world that you're grieved by? What's going on in my life that you're excited about? What are you feeling about the same people that I'm praying to you about? How are you feeling about them today? And inviting him to communicate with you. Pastor, that sounds kind of spooky and way out there. It's a little bit. It takes a little practice. But I'm telling you, the more you get used to dialing in on that, you will find you can live, you can live almost uninterrupted here. You can still be doing and living and being here and God's still talking to you on a different level. It just takes time. It takes a deep craving in your heart, a deep craving to want to know God that way. Now, again, I want to remind you, these types of prayers, God, help me. God, bless me. I need help. Those are acceptable. My little five-year-old's figuring this out, okay? He, somehow, over the last 14 days, my son has developed an obsession for NASCAR. I don't know where it came from. He's just started to love auto racing. We don't watch it at home. I know very little about it. My son, I guess, has discovered that Disney Pixar Studios did not invent car racing. There's actually real live race cars. And in his world, they're now much cooler than these other ones. And he's got this nonstop appetite. So like any parent, I'm trying to do my due diligence. Is this a good, is this a good thing he's interested in that I know nothing about? Or do I need to put the kibosh on this right away? So I'm starting to try and come up to speed on it. And I, I'm asking him questions on the way home from school on Wednesday. I'm like, so Chase, uh, who's your favorite driver? And his answer clued me in on what got him into NASCAR. He says this. My favorite driver is Danica Patrick. Like, oh, boy. <laughs> part of me is relieved, and the other part of me is like, we've got to slow his roll here on this. 
So last night, you know, I'm like, he's like, well, when does the 2017 season start? I'm like, I don't know. So I have to look it up. There's a race that there's this inaugural race on last night. It's like a 75 lap race. It's on 8:30 at night, which is half an hour past our bedtime. So like, I'm cutting all these deals with him. Well, you're gonna have to get, you're gonna have to do your bedtime routine early. We're gonna get your shower and your teeth and your lotion, and your medicine, and this and that and the other thing. He was ready for bed at six o'clock <laughs> in his footy pajamas. From 7 o'clock until 8.30, he sat on the couch and watched all the boring pregame announcers talk about non-moving automobiles. And then at 8.30, his little world was torn apart when he had to learn something that all us sports enthusiasts eventually have to deal with, and that is the weather-related delay. And it started as, like, anxiousness. Dad, can they run in the rain? Why don't they have windshield wipers? Why are they, what, what's wrong with the tires that they can't go in the rain? How are they going to dry the track out, Dad? How long is this going to take? And then started moving to despair. And my son is very dramatic. I will never see my first race. <laughs> I guess the cars will never go around the track. And finally, about 8.45, I was like, buddy, we got to get to bed. You know, we went to bed, and we watched a YouTube, 15 minutes of an archived race from, from the other year. But before we went to bed, I'm like, buddy, you got to go brush your teeth one more time because you had your race snacks, and, you know, you got to go to bed. So he goes into the bathroom, and our, his bathroom is next door to where Kendra and I, you know, our bedroom is. And so I go in to say goodnight to Kendra and Isaiah. And as I'm, you know, saying goodnight to them, I hear from the bathroom, I hear Chase out loud going, please, 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 please. And I'm like, what is going on? So I tilt my head around the corner so I can see him, but he can't see me. He's standing there, toothbrush in one hand, hand up in the, in the air like this. God, please make it stop rain. Please. You're the only one who can help me out here. Please make it stop raining. <laughs> So he's not like experiencing God's presence and like having this deep. (laughs) At the same time, God hears those prayers. It still rained. (laughs) Didn't answer the way Chase wanted. I want you to know, please don't take this message and feel like, oh, I'm praying the wrong way. No, 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 no. I'm just saying there is another dimension of experiencing God's presence you can grow into in prayer that is more than just a, a selfish monologue to God, even though he welcomes our prayers. You can use prayer as one of the many different ways that you can tune into God's presence. For some of you, you already live here and you could get up and preach more eloquently than I can about the testimony in your life of how you've experienced that to be real for you. For others of you, you'd say that's more unnatural for me. There's a couple reasons why it might be a problem uh, for you. A couple obstacles you might hit. I'll just give them to you real quick. You might say, I've never been taught that way before. This is new. Um, I've never been taught that way. Listen, there's a lot of things in my life that I learned now I was never taught. I mean, like changing the air filter on the HVAC unit at our house. No one told me I needed to do that. 18 months when I finally figured that out, I mean, that thing was like disintegrating in my hands. It had like trees growing inside of it. No one told me. A lot of the reasons why we don't do some things we should do is because no one ever told us we should. Some of these things don't come with manuals. So you, you may not have prayed this way. Don't feel condemned. I'm helping you opening up to you some of these things. Second reason, you might say, I doubt that God would be that personal with me. He might with the pastor. He might with Joe Werner. He might with Linda. He might with Ron. He might with, you know, uh, Sharon. He might with some of these more spiritual people. I don't think God would ever be that personal with me. It's when we have a lack of trust or faith that God really wants to be that personal with you. God really wants to be that personal with you. He wants you to feel so comfortable with him that you can just talk to him like a little child talks to his daddy. You might say, I'm afraid that if I pray this way, it won't work. I'll get all excited about this, Pastor. I will try and tune in and I'll get nothing. I've tried it before, Pastor, and it doesn't work. Listen, when you tune down self and you tune in the Holy Spirit, it always works. It just does. He may... 
You may be experiencing him in a way different than what you imagine, but just let God be God. Pastor, it takes some time. It does. Don't be frustrated if you, set, if you carve out 45 seconds for this to happen and the angels don't descend and fire from heaven doesn't come down in 45. Sometimes it takes some time. It's not that God is like putting you through the paces. You and I are just so naturally tuned to our own station. We're naturally tuned that way. It just takes some time for us to, now does this make more sense, for us to decrease so he can increase. Reading the Bible is part of the, one of the receivers you got. Worship is one of the ways. Hearing a, a person teach to you is one of the ways. Uh, experiencing God through creation is one of the ways. And prayer is one, another one of the ways you can experience God's presence. I just want to encourage you, if you have one of these receivers, can I encourage you this week to spending some time dialing in, tuning down, and tuning in? And as our worship team returns, I also want to invite anybody here this morning who says, Pastor, I don't have the Spirit of God living inside of me. I'm not sure if I'm on the right track with God. You talked a lot about being a Christian. You talked a lot about being a disciple. You used a lot of these words that aren't ordinary or normal to me. You talked about getting a radio surgically implanted in your, uh, you know, your abdomen somewhere. No, 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 no. There's probably churches that do that. We're not one of them. Um, no snakes here, no poison, no banners, you know, none of that stuff, okay? Um, what we're about is this. God's deepest desire is to be absolutely inseparable with you. Well, why isn't he? He's waiting on your invitation. He's waiting on your permission to take him up on that offer. Well, I'm ready for that, just like my five-year-old was this week. We were listening to a song on the radio, or not on the radio, on a CD. This is why it's important when you think, when you have kids, they listen to stuff, okay? When we get in the car, I will confess, yes, Stevie Wonder is playing some of the time, okay? 90% of the time, it's worship music. And we don't often talk about it because my son finds one song he likes and it's repeat, 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 repeat. We just took the Christmas CD out of the car, the Rat Pack Christmas CD. He loves Frank Sinatra singing Rudolph. But it's, it's, you know, it's 70 degrees outside for crying out loud. We had a CD in there by Patrick Dobson and there's a song on that called God, that says, is, the title of it is God Is. And the first line of the song is, I've decided the enemy won't win today. And my son, here, Daddy, who's the enemy he's talking about? I'm like, oh man, here we go. I was like, well, Satan, the devil. Huh. I've heard about him. Was he the guy in the garden? Yes. He says, um, he says, whose enemy is he? I said, well, he's God's enemy, and he's the enemy of anybody who puts their faith in God. He says, well, does he fight God? I said, well, he, he does, but he's going to lose. He tried once, and we went through the whole, I was like, you know, he thought he wanted to, be, to have God's, I won't believe it. I mean, my son is just like, question, 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 question. Well, it gets down to the point where he says, is, is Satan powerful? I said, yes. I said, oh. I said, but God's more powerful. Okay. He says, um, is God afraid of the enemy? I said, no, he has no reason to be afraid. He said, I'm nervous. I said, why? I said, if he's powerful, he might want to hurt me. He says, what does the enemy try to do? And I said, three things. I said, he wants you to not believe in God. He wants you to not love God. He wants you to not obey God. And Chase said, <laughs> he's so defiant. Said, I love God. I obey God. I believe in him. He said, um, do I have to be afraid of the enemy? I said, not if you have Jesus living inside of you. He said, do I? I said, well, I don't know. Have you ever asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins? Have you ever invited him to come and live inside of you? He said, no, but I'd like to do that right now. We're on White Marsh Boulevard. We're driving towards 695. So I did what anybody would do in my position. I turn off the radio. I'm driving this way. I reach my hand back there. I grab him. I said, all right, let's pray. He's like, daddy, I can't hold your hand. I have to fold my hands while we pray. All right, fine. Folds his hand. I give him a phrase at a time, the prayer I'm about to lead you in. Phrase at a time. Bam, 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 bam. We're done. Amen. 30 seconds. He says, so is he in there? 
You know, we didn't implant anything in the boy. I said, well, I said, how do you feel? Do you feel any different? He said, not really, except my face won't stop smiling. And my heart's beating really heavy. I can feel my heart beating. I said, buddy, that's the evidence of Jesus living inside of you. He got it. He wanted to be in church today. You know, he's, his behavior has changed. Every night when we go to sleep, he goes and gets my Bible and brings it to me. Dad, it's time for you to read your Bible. I'm like, okay, thanks, buddy. Little Holy Spirit here in the house, you know. <laughs> what are you reading tonight? <laughs> Isaiah, he goes, is it intense? I was like, oh, yeah. He's like, what's it about? I was like, I don't even know. I'm trying to figure it out myself. Was, There's all kinds of crazy things in here. I'm trying to figure it out. But if my five-year-old feels like Jesus just wants to come and live inside of you, I'm not going to make it any more complicated. If you know you want him inside of you, you just invite him. I want to lead you in that this morning. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes as the worship team begins to pray? If you want to invite Jesus into your life, it's as simple as you just admitting that you believe that he does exist and that he's everything the Bible says he was, that he's the son of God. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death we deserve to die as a, to pay the penalty for our sins. And he defeated death and he's alive today. You have to believe those things in your heart, your deep heart. You have to believe he rose from the dead. And you just have to confess to God. You have to admit to him that you believe in him and that you need him and that you want him and that you want your life to change. You're turning away from you being in charge and you're asking God to now be the Lord of your life and the leader. It's a simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you lived a sinless life, that you died on the cross in my place, that you rose from the dead, that you're alive today. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I accept that over my life today. And I invite you to take the driver's seat of my life, and I'm going to slide over one seat, and I'm going to ride shotgun. We're going to go where you lead, and I'm going to follow along with you. Thank you for saving me. Welcome. I invite you in, and I receive your spirit into my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, with every head up, and every eye open, if you prayed that prayer today, congratulations. That's the best decision you can ever make in your life. I want to give you a next step today because we're all about next steps here. Discipleship's about taking next steps. It's about saying, I'm never done on my journey. There's always a next step for me to take. So your next step, if you prayed that prayer this morning, is to tell somebody. Tell the person who invited you. Tell, the, tell one of our pastors, myself or Brian or Stuart or James, any one of the guys who came up here today. Tell somebody in your row. Okay, or stop by on your way out. Stop by at the new here booth and say, I prayed that prayer today. We've got a gift for you. We've got a, a welcome kit, a what's next box. that has a Bible in there. It has a, a, a little Bible study booklet that'll help you get started on how to read and study the Bible on your own. There's a little DVD that Pastor James and I put together. Seven short lessons that are all short, three to seven minutes long about the basics of getting started being a Christian, how to experience God's presence in your life is one of those lessons. That's our gift to you. That's our gift to anybody in this room, whether you prayed that prayer for the first time or not, but you just need a jump start in your spiritual journey. Stop by and pick up those boxes. They're for you. There are tools for you. We've given away over 60 of them. I hope, I hope we always, I would always love to run our budget in the ground because we run out of Bibles to give out. That's a great problem to have. Now let me ask everybody else in the house, what's your next step? What's your next step today? Why don't you stand with me if you're willing and able? Can we take a few minutes and just tune into his presence? Can we just turn the dial down for a moment and just pause and say, yes, we've got dinner plans and nap plans and work plans and company. And God, we want you to go with us. We know that you will. These next few moments are holy to you. We love you too. We love you too, Jesus. Thank you for being big. 
Abba, Father, we cry out to you today. We welcome your presence here among us this morning. You've always been here. We tune into you now. God, I thank you for releasing healing across this room. You're releasing breakthroughs. You're releasing wisdom. There are people who are living in shame and guilt over things. You've forgiven them that as they tune into your spirits, those things are breaking off of them in the name of Jesus. They're finding freedom for their souls today. They've been up late at night tossing and turning over past things in their life. It's it's gripping their mind. I break that over them in the name of the enemy. We turn his station down. We turn it off. We smash that radio and we throw it away and we invite your presence to fill those lives this morning from the inside out that they feel rest in your presence this morning.